Hello and welcome to the debut episode of Parable. Episode 1, The Creation. In the beginning, there were three realms. Muspelheim, Nilfheim and Genungagap. We've got Muspelheim, the southern realm, engulfed with fire and lava, so hot that none could withstand it without being created there. Then we have Nilfheim, the polar opposite. Being the northern realm, it was the land of ice and frost. Then we've got Ginnungaga, the void that gave rise to the previous two realms. Itself was devoid of all life. It encompassed the space in between Muspelheim and Nilfheim, often described as a perfect, uninterrupted silence and darkness. Now, Nilfheim was home to the Elevorga, a series of eleven icy rivers containing a substance known as Aita, the origin of life. So, we've got Muspelheim, Nilfheim and Gnungagap. The heat and cold were slowly encroaching into Gnungagap, from the south and north respectively, until they reached a stalemate. Now, it's said that from the drops of the melted ice was born Ymir, the first being in creation, and subsequently the father of all giants. As the ice melted further, it took on the shape of a cow, named Adumla. She is said to have nursed Ymir, and in turn received her nourishment from licking the frozen water from the Elivorga. As she licked, she created a man that then took life. Uh, this man was named Buri. Now here's where things get strange. Ymir birthed a male and a female under his arms and somehow his legs produced a son with six heads. Not much is recorded in the following years until Buri had a child named Bor, who went on to marry a giant named Besla. Besla and Bor had three sons, V, Vili and Odin. You'd think that the first being in creation would be of somewhat sound mind, right? Wrong. Ymir had an evil disposition from the moment he rose, and this eventually came to blows and V, Villa and Odin killed him. It's said that so much blood flowed from his body that all but one frost giant drowned, and he survived by building an ark for himself and his family. Sound familiar? Odin and his brothers dragged the giant's body to the center of Gap, where they made the earth from his flesh. His blood then became the seas, and his bones became the rocks. His hair was made into trees, his skull was turned into the sky, where the brothers added sparks and molten rock from Muspelheim to make the stars. Ymir's brains were thrown into the sky to form clouds. The earth was flat at this point, so they used his eyelashes to block off certain areas that they wanted to keep the frost giants confined. The brothers then found two logs on a seashore and made people out of them. Ville gave the people life and breath, while V gave them movement and consciousness. Odin then gave them speech, hearing, sight and faces. This was the beginning of humanity. All the generations to follow could be traced back to these people. They were then given Midgard as a gift to live in. Odin and his brothers left the heavens unlit during their creation. One of the descendants of the two people created from the logs had two children, and these children were said to be so beautiful 
that the father honoured them with the names Sol and Moon. The gods were jealous of the children, and when their father seemed less than worthy of them, they decided to take the children and put them in the sky. Sol was forced to drive a chariot carrying the sun across the skies, whilst Moon was taking the moon. It's said that Sol is being chased by a giant wolf, which is why she is ahead constantly. Bor noticed at this point that maggots had crawled from the remaining flesh of Ymir and into Midgard. He shaped them similarly to the humans, gave them intelligence, and watched as they went off to live under the hills and the mountains. Now, you may have guessed these were dwarves. A fun little note is that one of the first dwarves is said to be named Durin, and Tolkien was interested in Norse mythology and wanted to pay an homage of sorts, hence Durin in the Hobbit trilogy. So at this point we've got dwarves, humans and giants living in Midgard, and Odin, V and Villa decided to set to work on a home for themselves. This marks the creation of Asgard, home of the Aesir. Odin was the oldest of the Aesir. Aside from him, there were 11 more gods and goddesses that are divine above a whole host of other Aesir. It's important to note that a lot of the characters that appear throughout the myths just sort of appear without too much of a backstory. One of the caveats with ancient documentation, I guess. So, fast forward an unknown amount of time. We're observing Gulvaig standing in Odin's hall among the other Aesir, bragging about her magic and talking about her lust for gold. It would seem that the others took a strong dislike to this, so strong that they proceeded to torture and kill her. Or at least, they tried. She was impaled numerous times, then burned to death. Unfortunately for the other gods, she was reborn, only to have the whole process repeated three times, after which they gave up trying to kill her and just sort of left her alone. She was noted as being a seer and performed evil magic, becoming a figure of worship for a lot of lesser evil women. Numerous sources have also theorised that Gulvaig was actually Freya, one of the more notable Asir. Now. Freya wasn't one of the Aesir initially. She was one of the Vanir, a group of different gods. It isn't mentioned as to how or why she ended up in Asgard, but when the Vanir learned of how the Aesir treated her, war broke out. The description of the war is very vague, only noting that both sides were evenly matched and did a considerable amount of damage to each other and their homes, including toppling the wall around Asgard. After a long period of pointless back and forth, both sides agreed on a truce. They both agreed to coexist in peace, and as a gesture of goodwill, they exchanged several members from each party. From the side of the Vanir came Njord and his son Freyr, followed by Njord's daughter Freya, and the wisest of all the Vanir, Kvaisa. Njord, Freyr and Freya were appointed to be high priests and priestesses over sacrifices. Freya also taught the magics of Vanaheim over to the Aesir. The gods given by the Aesir were Onir, who was said to be a natural-born leader, and Mimir, the wisest among the Aesir. Mimir and Kvasir were seen to be equal for their wisdom, and the Vanir immediately appointed Honir to be one of their leaders, and Mimir as his trusted advisor. 
Now, when Honir had Mimir's advice, he was a great leader. As a team, they were unfailing. However, when Honir was without Mimir, he would leave decisions to others. It turned out that he was incredibly indecisive when left to himself. Due to this, the Vanir suspected that they were given a raw deal and that they received unequally poor leaders in exchange for their own. Their suspicion grew to anger and they decided to throw Mimir to the ground and behead him. Now, obviously, the best choice was to kill one of the two who could actually make informed decisions, right? So the Vanir then sent a messenger to bring Mimir's head back to Odin to show their displeasure. While Odin and the Asir took no action to invite another war, Odin did smear Mimir's head with herbs to preserve it and proceeded to sing charms over it to bring him back the power of speech so that he could continue to bequeath his knowledge, only this time to Odin. Long after the Asir Vanir war raised the ground around Asgard, it remained a deserted mound of rubble, because while the gods desired it fixed, none of them wanted to commit to the effort. After some time, a lone man on horseback came up the rainbow bridge between Asgard and Midgard and was stopped by Heimdall, watchman of the gods. When stopped, the stranger asked to convene with the gods to propose a plan. He was asked what the plan was, and in response he simply smiled, showing a full set of golden teeth. He didn't waver, stating only that he would not tell the gods until he had all of them in one room, gathered, ready to listen. Heimdall reluctantly directed the man across the plain of Ida to Glodsheim, which was the sanctuary where all of the important gods had high seats. Once the gods and goddesses had all gathered, the stranger walked into the middle of the hall. When questioned by Odin as to his purpose, the stranger announced that he wished to rebuild the wall around Asgard. This is the point where the gods initially were suspicious of the builder, as he must be more than a normal man to undertake the task. The builder mentioned that the wall will be made to be stronger and higher than ever, and basically impregnable. He said that if the frost and rock giants ever burst their way into Midgard, they would still not be able to cross this new improved wall. While Odin warily asked the builder of his conditions, the builder said that he would need 18 months to finish the project and that in payment he would take Freya as his wife. At this, each of the gods was immediately outraged, shouting, deriding and dismissing the stranger. Freya, who was at this point considered the most beautiful of the gods, sat in disbelief within the chaos in the hall. Odin shouted that the Builder's terms were impossible and that the gods would not entertain such a notion. The Builder at this point said that he also required the sun and the moon as part of his asking price. Now Loki's voice could be heard through the noise, saying each idea had its own merits and not to dismiss this out of hand. When the other gods and goddesses turned to him, he said that their guests deserved no less than for the gods to think about his plan. The gods and goddesses asked the Builder to leave so that they could discuss the viability and necessity of this plan. Upon seeing each of the gods beginning to discuss the idea in earnest, Freya began to weep golden tears. Loki placated the gods and suggested that they take advantage of this stranger, offering him Freya, the sun and the moon, if he could finish the wall in only six months' time. They collectively agreed that finishing the wall in six months would be impossible. 
Loki continued to say that the gods would lose nothing by suggesting the six month time limit to the Builder, as either the Builder would reject the terms and nothing would happen, or he would accept and be unable to complete the task, therefore build half the wall and not get his payment. They called the Builder back, and Odin announced that the gods would pay him Freya, the sun, the moon, if he could complete the wall in six months by himself. He said that the next day was the first day of winter, and that if any part of the wall was incomplete by summer, the Builder would forfeit his rewards. The Builder responded that the terms were impossible, but then he paused to gaze at Freya and decided that he would accept the conditions as long as he could have the assistance of a stellium. Odin initially was going to refuse this condition, but when the Builder stood his ground on this, Loki advised that the help of a horse couldn't possibly affect the Builder's chances of rebuilding the wall in a third of the requested time, and brought up that if the gods refused the terms, no part of the wall would be built. Odin and the Builder agreed under oath in front of several witnesses that the Builder would start work the next day and have the use of his house. He was also promised safe conduct whilst he was building, as there was some anxiety that Thor, who was away fighting trolls at the moment, would return home and would not see the agreement as favourably as the other gods did. The Builder got to work before the sun rose the next day. By the light of the new moon, the Builder led Svaldifari, his stallion, to a place where they would find stable boulders and rocks that seemed as though they would last centuries. He attached a mesh net to the stallion and began to shove huge slabs onto it. He strained at this task. The only god who would have been able to match the builder for strength was Thor. After a while, the builder had amassed a huge pile of boulders on the net, and then he grabbed the net by the end and bellowed. At this sound, his horse bowed his head and began to pull the mound of rocks up the hill to the ruins of Asgard's wall. Now, when the gods woke, they were surprised to see the sheer amount of rocks that were hauled by the Builder. They watched him form the rocks and mount them to the wall while his horse rested nearby. The Builder's strength was massive, and the gods believed that he may be a giant in disguise. However, when they looked at how much of the wall was still in disrepair, they were still convinced that the Builder could not possibly finish in time. Winter was vicious. Rain came, hail, snow, yet night after night, Svaldafari hauled rocks from the quarry. Day after day, the builder worked on the wall, and as the days grew longer, the time until the end of the contract became shorter. Three days before the beginning of summer, the builder had almost completed the full sturdy wall, with well-laid stone throughout. Only the gateways needed to be built. The gods and goddesses constantly came back to look at the wall, and each of them spoke of the bargain that was struck. Odin called a meeting in Glodsheim. The hall was full of anxious gods, and Freya's tears were such that she flooded the area around her with gold. Odin raised his spear, declaring that the gods needed to find a way out of their contract with the Builder. He shouted, Who suggested that we strike this bargain? How did we come to risk such an outcome? Freya married to that brute of a giant. The sky robbed of the sun and the moon, so that we shall have to grope about, robbed of light and warmth. As the gods turned to Loki, Odin strode over to him and grabbed him hard by the shoulders. Loki explained that they weren't to know, and that everybody agreed. Ultimately, 
Odin placed the blame upon Loki, exclaiming that he was the one that convinced the gods to proceed with such a plan and demanded that he wove some kind of plan to get out of the contract. He said, either the mason forfeits his wages or you forfeit your life. We'll take it out of you, bit by bit. Odin squeezed Loki's shoulders until he fell to one knee. And Loki saw that Odin and the rest of the gods were dead serious. He proclaimed that no matter what it cost, the builder would forfeit his earnings. That evening, the builder led Svaldafari back down the quarry. He was excited because he could see he would likely finish the job in time and would reap the rewards that were not only rich themselves, but that the loss of them would cause the gods to suffer greatly. While he walked, he sang. While he sang, a mare that was grazing nearby took notice of the builder and the stallion and sprang out in front of the pair while they were close enough. The mare kicked her heels in the air and pranced up to Svaldafari, prancing around him and whisking her tail at him. He began to strain against his reins. When the mare whinnied and headed off towards a copse of grass, the stallion jumped after her, breaking his rein. The builder tried to run after his horse, but Svaldafari was already galloping after the mare. The mare and the stallion took a roll in the grass, so to speak. All night, while the enraged mason searched for them, tripping over rocks and roots in the darkness, shouting and cursing and chasing shadows until the dawn emerged. As soon as the sun began to rise, Svaldafari made his way back to his master. With the nighttime wasted, the mason did not have any new rocks to use and had to make do with the ones left from the day before. Soon he saw that he had too few rocks and that he would no longer be able to finish his task in the agreed upon time. He became so angry that he erupted out of his disguise and showed himself to be what he truly was to all of the onlooking gods and goddesses. There he stood, a towering rock giant. Upon viewing this proof that the mason was indeed a giant, the gods and goddesses revoked their oaths and sent for Thor to dispatch this threat. He brought down his hammer, Mjolnir, down on the giant's head and with a single blow shattered his skull. Several months later, Loki returned to Asgard over the Bifrost Bridge, blowing Heimdall a raspberry as he passed. He had an unusual cult following behind him, one with grey hair and eight legs. This cult was named Sleipnir. Odin admired this cult upon first sight, and Loki asked him to take him, mentioning, I bore this cult, and he will bear you. He spoke of how this horse would outrun any other horse in existence, and could travel over land and sea. Odin thanked Loki and warmly welcomed him back into Asgard. I hope you enjoyed this retelling of some mythological tales. If you did, it would be amazing to see a review on your chosen platform. Feel free to follow us on social media to help build a little community. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Once again, thank you so much for listening to me. Our next episode will be released a week from now. Stay tuned.